0: Good morning, church family. If you would please stand for a reading of God's word. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. That can be located on page 490 in the blue Bibles that are located in the seat pocket in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, please take one of these Bibles home as our gift to you. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat... The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. This is God's word.
1: Once again, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the power of God that it represents, Lord, the power to take unbelievers and make them believers, the power to um, correct our minds and to help us to see uh, truths that we would have no access to in our fallenness. And so, Lord, we thank you for the word. Lord, I pray, um, just as I prayed for the children, Lord, I pray that in this group that you would Ordain that there be hearing ears, Lord God, that there would be those that would hear and that they would know God what it is that you are speaking to them and requiring of them, Lord. I, I pray that that we would all increase in faith as we see the truths of your word today, Lord, I pray for myself, I pray that, as I speak, that you would um, God serve as guardrails to my thoughts and my words, and that Lord, I would not. Um, uh, take over the driver's seat, Lord, but I would I would follow Your lead and and the, and constrain myself to to the text of Your Word. And I thank You for all of this in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. You can be seated. So glad you're here this morning. Um, so last week we saw Jesus exercise His authority over nature. You'll remember that He was He commanded a storm on the Sea of Galilee to cease from its blowing. And the amazing thing about the story is that the sea obeyed. It did exactly what Jesus had commanded it to do. And today, in this text that Landy read to us, we're going to see Jesus exert his power over the forces of hell as he commands a, 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 a legion of demons to leave a man. Now, one thing stands out, in these stories, both the story from last week, the story from this week. And it is the way that people approach Christ, that when they approach him, they approach him in desperation. And by necessity of that desperation, they they humble themselves. Um, We saw it in the disciples waking Jesus and saying, don't you even care that we are going to drown, that we're going to die. And so these people are willing to implore, or a better word would be to beg Jesus to act on their behalf. Has anyone in this room ever been so desperate that you begged Jesus to act on your behalf? Anyone willing to own up to that this morning? I see one hand. Okay, man, we need some faith in this room. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's this, there's this willingness to beg Jesus, and 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 when we're begging Jesus, we are asking Jesus to provide for us comfort to, and, and to relieve our burden. Now that may seem obvious, but I want to point this out from the scriptures today. So today we're going to look at three different groups that approach Jesus and they approached him begging. It's, it's interesting how often that word shows up in the text we read today. The Greek, the Greek word for beg in each instance in this story, beggar begging, is the same. It's, it's, Parakaleo, uh, parakaleo, and it's tied to another Greek word you may be familiar with, paraklete, which is the the, the title, of the Comforter that the Bible gives to the Scripture. So it's it's an interesting uh, idea of of seeking comfort, parakaleo, and a comforter, paraklet, and so you have that, and so each group. All three of the groups that we're going to look at today are asking for some kind of comfort through the granting of their different requests. Now that can make you feel all sunshiny and warm and fuzzy inside that these these groups are coming to Christ for comfort. But what you need to understand that some of these groups were asking for comfort by being relieved of Jesus. By Jesus going away, by Jesus you know uh, providing for them in ways that, that would that would give them what they wanted and not give them real freedom or real relief. but another group was asking Jesus, was asking to be relieved by his nearness, by the presence of the Lord, by the the power of the Lord. Now we're going to consider how Jesus answered each group. What requests did he grant and why? And which ones did he deny and why? And we'll learn about the essential makeup of each group as we consider their requests. More importantly, how should these stories in the scriptures inform us as we go to Christ, only two or three of you raised your hands and said that you've been caught begging Christ. I guarantee you that number is 100%. And here's what else I guarantee you. You will again, in your life experience, find yourself on your knees uh, with your hands in the air asking Jesus to do the impossible. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. So hopefully there will be something we can apply here. See, because when we go to Jesus... We are always called to take the posture of a beggar. How many of you are certain that Jesus does not need our advice? Anybody? Anybody uncertain of that fact? There's a, a prosperity gospel evangelist that, that uh, for this morning I won't name, but he talks about how God appeared to him and asked his advice. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. But we always take the posture of a beggar, and we are begging grace. We're begging mercy because of our desperate need and his infinite supply. So the disciples and Jesus, in the beginning of the story, had arrived on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You'll remember when they got in the boat last week, they said, we got to go to the other side. Jesus told them that. And this was after their stormy and dangerous yet miraculous overnight journey from the other side of the sea where Jesus had been preaching and conducting his ministry so successfully. And Mark calls this place that they showed up at Gerasenes. Matthew calls it Gadarenes. Archaeologists are unclear about the exact location of where this event took place, but out of all the possible options, the location is probably near the lakeside village of Kursa. Now, that doesn't matter to you except to know that, that it was probably right on the sea when this happened. Um, now, what you need to know about this entire region is this is not predominantly Jewish territory it is inhabited mostly by gentiles it's a part of the decapolis which literally means ten cities it's a largely gentile region that was a base for many uh, uh, Roman garrisons, it's where they were stationed, and as we read in the text, it was it was a, a the home of a thriving swine farming industry, which would have been repulsive to Jews, and so that's why they were on the other side of the lake. But as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, in fact, Matthew or Mark rather uses his favorite word, he uses this 42 times in the book of Mark, and that is euthis, which means immediately, or in the King James straight away. And so, he's, he's saying that, that literally Jesus sets his foot in the sand on the, on the shore of the lake, and immediately this guy comes up. He's accosted by a man who comes descending from the cliffside tombs, and he is, according to, to, uh, Luke, he's stark naked, completely naked, and this man is, Is possessed with demons. And he is a violent, dangerous man. Now. We know that he was violent. We know that he's dangerous because Mark gives us the benefit of this detail. The locals had tried to restrain this guy and restrain his fury by binding him with chains and shackles. And with supernatural strength provided by these spirits within him, he snapped the irons that they tried to to, uh, bind him with and he just left them lying in pieces on the ground. This, This guy was not a guy that most of us would want to mess with. Now eventually, because he just kept snapping the chains, people eventually just stopped trying to contain him. And he roamed mad in the graveyard. They gave him a wide berth. They said, okay, you stay there, we'll stay over here. And, and the Bible gives us this creepy image that he would, he would cry out or he would literally howl like a wolf in the middle of the night and he would just, and he would cut himself with stones as the devils inside of him were driving him further and further to the brink of self-destruction. But what, here's what's interesting. When this man, literally infested with evil spirits, saw Jesus, he ran to him, not away from him. He ran to him. And the Bible even tells us this detail, that he fell before him and worshipped him. He took a full uh, prostrate position before Jesus and, and worshipped him. Now, what's going on there? There's two options. Either the man used what little reason he still had access to, or the demons that were hijacking him were compelled by the holiness of God to come and appear before Christ. Now, we don't know for certain, and, and theologians disagree, but I personally prefer the latter explanation. I, I, and I think we should consider that latter explanation, that, that Jesus' holiness just drove those spirits uh, or, or compelled them to come and stand before or fall before him. This is what uh, uh, you'll remember. We just a few weeks ago we talked about this. Jesus said this. He said, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Now listen, these demons, don't, don't make jokes about the devil. These demons were very strong. They had caused everyone in that region to fear this man. They had enabled him to tear through chains with superhuman strength. They had seized his mind and we'll see that they even seized his tongue and relocated him to live among the dead. But see, here's what's happening. Here's what we're seeing in this. The one that is stronger has arrived on the scene to bind the strong man. And he has come and he has kicked open the door and he is about to plunder his house. And this man would be set free. Now remember, no one in the village had the power to subdue him. But Jesus would not only subdue him, he would subdue the powers that enslaved him. That's my Jesus. He says in John 8 36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus didn't take half his devils. <laughs> he didn't take, take two thirds of his devils and send them to a psychologist to get rid of, get rid of the rest. No, he said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so we see the first group that begs Jesus, believe it or not, is actually the demons. They come to Jesus. And because Jesus' power makes their, his infinite power makes their power look so tiny by comparison that they begin to beg him. They fall before Christ, but the demons reveal that this is no act of genuine worship. The worship that you hopefully provided the Lord today is completely different than what these guys were doing. See, what they were doing, they had no heart for Christ. They were merely throwing themselves on the mercy of the court because their judge had come. He had shown up, remember what they said in the text? And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, I implore you, I point to our contract, Jesus. Do not torment me. And Mark or Matthew adds, before the time. Jesus, we know there's a time when you are going to deal with us. But, but by our recollection, this ain't it. So go easy on us, Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this awesome thing. He said, atheism is a strange thing because even the devils never fell into that vice for the devils believe and tremble, according to James 2.19. Now, James tells us in that verse that what the devils believe is that God is one. But here in Mark, there are several other things that this verse tells us that demons believe. Let me assure you, before we start through the list, that demons are not atheists. See, they believe that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. What is that saying? They believe that Jesus has a mission that originated with God, that He is, as we said in the Creed today, uncreated, immeasurable, eternal, almighty, coequal, in essence authority, power and glory with the Father. They believe that. They also believe that the time of their eternal torment is fixed and certain. There's no avoiding it. The day is fast approaching when all unclean spirits will be judged thoroughly and eternally with no appeal and no escape. And this truth makes them tremble constantly and considerably. They also believe, according to this verse, that their final judgment will be executed by Christ himself. They won't be victims of decay, old age, no demon's ever going to die of old age. I'm not going to die in some natural disaster. They will be the victims of God's perfect holiness. And they will suffer God's wrath under the holy feet of Christ. Now, As I said, Matthew's version has them asking if Christ would torment them before the time. And this is pleading and it's stalling because they're terrified. Christ has already begun telling them to come out of the man, but the spirits are resisting him. And finally uh, Christ asks the spirit, What is your name? Now, That's an interesting point that Jesus asked this question. Let me try to help you with this a little bit. Um, If you've ever had any encounters with modern so-called deliverance ministries, they often use this single verse in Scripture to justify interviewing demons uh, that that are inhabiting spiritually afflicted people. But what I want you to see is that Jesus was not interrogating these spirits for information. He wasn't trying to find something out. Why do we know that? Because he's God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. What what is happening here? Something far more culturally significant was taking place. In ancient times, um, when you vanquished a foe, uh, a part of the triumph was to force the loser to identify himself. Let me, let me illustrate this from the story of Jacob. You'll remember Jacob wrestled with God at the end of that wrestling match. God, um, the the Bible says that he couldn't overcome, not because God wouldn't, uh, was was beaten, but because God let him overcome with God. And so, uh, when he, when he's wrestling, what's the last thing he says, he says to, to God, he says, tell me your name. I'm the winner. God, tell me your name. and, and, And uh, and God wouldn't tell him, and what he was saying was like, you're not really the winner here, buddy. So uh, this also happened in in Mark chapter 1, where we saw the first encounter Jesus had with demonic spirits. What was the first thing that said? I know who you are! You're Jesus of Nazareth. And they attached that to Nazareth, so everyone thinking would think he's just another guy, just another guy from Nazareth. And, and they thought that identifying him abruptly in front of a crowd would make them seem more powerful in the eyes of those watching. But if you'll remember, their plan failed because Jesus told them to be quiet and cast them out. Jesus exposes what he's doing with this man when he says, What is your name? He exposes the demonic horde that tries to hide in the man. See, they want when people see this man... They want them to think about broken chains and shackles, all this scary stuff, this weirdo living among the tombs, the howling and the cutting himself. They want everybody's mind on that. But Jesus wants them to notice the grace of God that sets men like this free, even when it's a legion. So the demons respond that their name is Legion, for there's many of them. A legion was a, a Roman army division of upwards of 6,000 infantrymen. And this man, what that is telling you, it doesn't mean that there's, you know, exactly 6,000 demons in it. What it tells you is that this man is infested, like a house full of cockroaches, he is infested with demonic spirits. And he in himself had proven that he was no match for the, for the spirits against him. The town was no match for the spirits that were against him. But Jesus, <laughs> the one who is stronger, had arrived on the scene, and they were no match for him. And these spirits begin to beg him. There's that word, parakaleo, comfort us, Jesus. And the way you're going to comfort us is not sending us out of the country. They lived in a great area for them. They lived in an area that was filled with pagan idolatry. And they didn't want to lose ground. So again, they even upped the ante. They begged Jesus, parakaleo, again, not to send them. Comfort us, Jesus, by not sending us into the abyss prematurely. But let us inhabit the large herd of pigs that are grazing on the hillside. Now, you want to see one of the most stunning scriptures in all the Gospels? Mark 5:13 so he gave them permission. Now why is that stunning? Because what you just read tells you that the most vile, filthy, unclean, evil spirits cannot even go into a pig without Jesus's permission. The one stronger had arrived. Despite all their boasts and all their flexing when somebody tried to change this guy, they were powerless to do the smallest thing on their own apart from God's decree. And as a result, when the unclean spirits entered the pigs, the 2,000 swine went mad and rushed down the steep bank and drowned in the, in the Sea of Galilee. And this proves a couple of things. It proves, first of all, the number of demons in this man was significant. 2,000 pigs died at just the demons that came out of this man. And that in the eyes of Jesus, more importantly, it proves this. In the eyes of Jesus, one afflicted man was worth more than 2,000 pigs. And when the demons begged Jesus... They're not begging it. They're not not doing it to receive grace from his hands, but to avoid immediate destruction. And that request will only be answered just a little tiny bit longer, just a short time, and then there will be no herd of pigs large enough to hide the evil spirits from the day of the Lord. They will suffer the vengeance of Almighty God. So the story takes a really interesting twist here. You can imagine the stir that the destruction of these swine caused. News spread fast. It was reported, Mark tells us, in the city and in the country. And soon a crowd had gathered on the seashore to see what was going on. You, can't you almost hear the gasps of those who uh, showed up and uh, uh, did not only gaze upon Jesus, this supernaturally empowered man, Responsible for the loss of their livestock, but also, once again, looking on the town weirdo. But he's not the town weirdo anymore. He's sitting quietly and tears are running down his cheeks. He's fully clothed and he's speaking coherently with Jesus and his disciples. See, the unclean spirits begged Jesus for the comfort of not being destroyed. For the comfort of being dispatched into filthy pigs rather than being sent into hell. Now these people, seeing what has happened, assessing the situation, they begin to beg Jesus for the comfort of His departure. You want us to make us feel better? You want to make us feel better about this, Jesus? Get out of here. Beat it. Be gone. See, they saw His power and authority And they collectively decided they want nothing of him. 18th century theologian and pastor John Gill said what they feared was that some worse judgment than the loss of their pigs would befall them because of their own sins. Because they had clearly perceived the great power and authority of Christ. And this showed incredible ignorance on their part and great worldly mindedness. See, they didn't know how great of a person they had among them. They did not know that he was the Son of God and that he was the Savior of the world. They knew less than the demons knew. They might have known him from his miracles, and looking at that and decided he was an extraordinary person, but their mistake was that they assumed he used his great power to hurt instead of help them. That they assumed that he was came as one sent to punish them for their sins instead of save them from them. And see, this is the way unregenerate people think of Christ. They're afraid of suffering or losing by him. So they refuse to give up their swinish lusts, as John Gill says, for Christ. In other words, what I'm saying to you, now think about the the horror of this, They prefer swine to a savior. They love the world. They love the things of the world. And they love those, the world and the things of the world more than they love Jesus and therefore they are not worthy of Him. Fallen people cannot handle an undiluted sight of the holiness of God. You'll recall Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, he sees God in the temple and what is his immediate response? He didn't, he didn't have a praise session. He didn't throw his hands up and dance around the throne. No, 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 no. Fell on his face and he said, woe to me for I am undone. And that's the, that's the common reaction when people see the glory, the majesty, the holiness of God. The disciples were, as we talked about last week, mega afraid when Jesus calmed the storm. Now, these people are afraid as they see this untamable man gently sitting at Christ's feet and the carcasses of their hogs floating on the surface of the Galilee. Simon had the same reaction to Jesus. Yes, Simon Peter, that guy, had the same reaction when Jesus blessed him and his partners with a great, miraculous catch of fish. In in Luke 5, 8, it says, When when Simon saw the catch of fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees, and he said, listen to this, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There are many ways that lost people tell Jesus to go away from them because they're incapable to stand in the presence of his unveiled holiness and sovereignty. Some people will tell Jesus to depart from them by flat out rejecting him, uh, just completely rejecting him through atheism or agnosticism. Some uh, will just deny the truths that are written in creation and on the consciences of everyone. Everyone. Others will do it by interpreting his word in such a way to avoid hard realities about ourselves and what God requires. When they reinterpret the scriptures, you know they're saying, Jesus, go away from me. Go away from me. Leave my shores. Others will do it through worldly pursuits, the unwillingness to give up anything in this world. They cling to their swinish lusts and their fleeting pleasures. Some beg Jesus to leave as they pursue self-righteousness and legalism, and they reject the grace of God in favor of religious rule-keeping. Yet the result of all of these types of things and many, many more is that we are begging God to leave our shores, to stop messing with our stuff. We prefer the status quo right now, even if it leads into eternal damnation later. We will eat, drink, and be be merry, for tomorrow we die. Jesus, make no mistake about it, demands everything. And by begging him to depart, we think that we can keep what we have, never understanding that all you really have apart from him is dust and ashes. That's it. But we're not done. There's one more category of begging Jesus. See, the devils begged Jesus to be preserved a little longer and to be sent into the pigs. The unconverted begged Jesus to go away. But what about the man whose life had dramatically changed that day? Mark 5.18 tells us this as he was getting in the boat. Jesus was getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him, parakaleo, that he might be with him. Lord, comfort me by your presence by your fellowship, by your intimacy. The pressing concern of that now delivered man was just to be with Jesus. It's what he begged for. It's what he sought comfort in. Intimacy with Christ. How could this man stand to be parted from the one who had broken the chains he couldn't break? While iron shackles posed no obstacles for him, the spiritual prison in which he dwelt for so long was inescapable until one stronger than, the, than his satanic captors broke down the prison walls and let him go free. He wanted to share in the joy of the disciples that were with Jesus that day. He wanted to travel with Jesus, listen to Jesus, speak with Jesus. He wanted to be as close as the Bible tells us John was, who leaned on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper, and he was known as the disciple that Jesus loved. But get this, an interesting twist here. The same Jesus who consented to the begging request of devils and of the people of the land... Denied this man's request. Jesus, instead of, of letting him jump in the boat and go with him, he sent him as, as to the other Gentiles as a missionary. He said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. See, when a person is truly redeemed, and we talked a lot here about false conversion, one of the ways that you know that you are truly a follower of Christ, When you're truly redeemed, you are conscripted into the service of your new master. You are laying down your old life and and following orders now. You're following what Christ says. Now, you may have an idea of what you think is best for you, and yet your gratitude for the way Jesus is rescued demands that you conform your life to the will of God instead. Now, here's the beauty of this. On the surface, it feels like Jesus just denied him. Nope, you can't be with me. But that's not true. Because this man would soon find out that while he couldn't physically be with Jesus during his remaining time on earth, his faith would cause Christ to be with him in a very real sense. This is what John wrote in 1 John one three. He said, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. He's talking about the gospel, the things we saw Jesus do, the things we heard Jesus say. We're telling them to you. So that, and this is the reason he wrote those things, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Who's the us? And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, there's a union that all believers have with Christ when they believe the truth of the gospel, you become united with Christ. There's a, a union, a, 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 a bonding that you have with Christ. You Christ comes to dwell in you, but more importantly, you come to dwell in Christ. And this man would enjoy the fellowship in his obedient going, until the day when he would be united to Christ face to face in the next life. He would be with Christ, but in a different way than he ever imagined. He thought he was going on a boat trip and a walk around Israel. No, 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 no. He was destined to reign, the Bible says, with Christ. To be with Him. To enjoy His presence forever. The reality of Jesus' closeness and fellowship empowered his joyful obedience. The reason he obeyed is because of Jesus' closeness, of Jesus' fellowship. Verse 20 says, And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. If our longing is to be with Christ, let me assure you, you will not be denied. Even if... You're redirected in the way we perceive the shape of that fellowship with Christ should take. Near the end of his life, Paul saw this reality in Philippians chapter 1. He's he's facing his impending martyrdom, but he knows he has work to do uh, for the churches that the Lord's confirmed to him. He says this, he says, I'm hard pressed between the two. The, The two are living and dying. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. That's what the man felt. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, "Listen, I want to go home and be with Jesus. I want to I want to uh, uh, be near him and see his face. But I know that he has given me assignment that I have not yet completed, and so I will stay faithful to him here and now. And that's what this man had to had to uh, hear Jesus from Jesus. See, all of us encounter Jesus as." beggars he is the king and we are his willing or unwilling subjects do you hear what i said he's the king it's the first truth and we are all his willing or unwilling subjects there is none of you here no matter how angry rebellious um resistant to god that can ever master god you are his subject you are his subject whether you want to be or not Not in a saving way, but you are subject to him. So if that's true, if we see even unclean spirits and unconverted people, if we see them begging Christ, here's my question to you, and I want you to hear it, I want you to answer it, and I want it to deeply sink down into you. This morning, what are you begging Christ for? Do you want Him to just delay your punishment? God, give me, give me just a few more days, God, to have fun in the sun, doing what I want, calling the shots, making the rules. Do you want Him to just go away and leave you alone, to stop bothering your conscience, stop messing with your stuff? Or do you deeply... Deeply long for him to be near to you. To be near to him. To hear his voice loudly in his word. To experience his power in your prayers. What do you want this morning? What are you begging Christ for? Because you can't come to Christ in any other way than a beggar. You are destitute without him. So as you sit on the street corner of life with your little tin cup in hand, what do you want Jesus to put in there? What is it? Have the guts this morning to ask yourself that. Ask yourself, what am I begging Christ for? And I hope that you will say that you long to be with him. At any cost, despite any obstacle, no matter what assignment, he lays before you. Whichever you choose, of those options, let me assure you, you will not be denied. But we must realize that whatever choice we make carries grave consequences. Would you stand with me? Heavenly Father, we stand here today and Lord, we recognize that we have been corrected by your word. We have viewed ourselves as way more important, way more influential in this life than we are. And Lord, we choose to see ourselves this morning as mere beggars before the throne of an almighty, merciful, and yet just king. So Lord, our hands are extended and we need from you, Lord, God, I pray that you would send great conviction on those who have sought you or have besought you to leave, God. To go away, to stop messing with their consciences, keep your hands off their stuff. I pray that you would convict them of the foolish path of destruction that they're on, Lord. I pray that there are no hearts here so hardened, that they're just asking you for a few more days, a few more days to just have a little bit more fun calling the shots that will just add fuel to the fires of hell for their life. Lord, I pray that you would awaken in us all a heart that just cries out to be near you. To look to you every day when we arise and say, let me come with you, Jesus. And if you send me out, come with me, Jesus. But let's be together. Let's be together, God. Because we are no less than this poor man in the garrisons, Lord God. We have been delivered of so much, Lord God. Set free from so much sin set free from a devil that wanted to destroy us and caused us to live among death, Lord. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have set us free. And God, you've set us free that we might be with you. Help us not to miss that truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor David earlier was talking about the distinction between... Roman Catholic uh, belief and the theology that that uh, Northridge embraces. And one of those things is that at the Lord's Supper, the Catholic Church has taught for generations that the, these elements, the bread and the wine, actually... Physically become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. We absolutely reject that teaching. We think it's. We think that there's a lot of problems with that. That essentially, that's a heretical teaching, and so we reject it. However, what what is true, and we believe and teach about these elements, is that um, through these elements, when they are received by faith, not automatically, but when they're received by faith, that the Holy Spirit by a, by a supernatural action, unites us with Christ. And we believe that with all of our hearts. Why is that important? Because the, the crying beg of the man was, let me be with you. And Christ has given us these elements, this sacrament, so that we could, in partaking it together in communion, if you will, that we would not only have communion with each other, but that we would have communion with Him, and so this is this is a, a small way that we are able to be with Him. It's not a small way; I shouldn't have said it's a big way. Yeah, come on up, guys. It's a big way that we're able to be with Him when received by faith. So I tell you that because we've talked about what are you begging Christ for? Well, if you want to be with Him, before you come and receive the elements, say, Lord, just let me by faith be united to christ today by the in receiving these elements and and just trust that that is what he is doing by faith so i'm going to invite you all to come and receive the elements and um, take them back to your seat and then we will take them together in a moment first corinthians 11:23 says for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Now let's give thanks. Lord, we thank you that we have been united to you through your death and now through an action of the Holy Spirit in partaking of these elements that you have blessed. And so, Lord, we thank you um, for our union with you. Lord, we pray that we would press into you this week, and that we would, we would, um, uh, God, put aside our worldly desires, our worldly pursuits, and that we would seek to know you, Lord God, and to be with you, and to, and to live after you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would place your hands in a receiving position, I want to read you this benediction from Matthew chapter 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. For which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks him for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him in the name of the father, in the name of the son, in the name of the Holy spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.